Around here, I'm the supreme authority. Nobody tells me what to do. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and we are joined of a Friday, as we typically are. Bad boy Benny Mathers, our producer, is at the board. Benny, how are you today? Doing well, kids. You got your volumes turned up this time at the right spot? Yeah, I don't even know why yeah. that happened last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wanted some, to not hear that. Some <laughs> listeners wrote to us saying they appreciated the tranquility. Oh, hey. That's the way it goes. And one quick note before we get to our special guest of the hour, Hank Garrett is back, everybody. This is going to be yet another special visit with Hank. I wanted to mention, though, Dodger Stadium got it out of the way. Okay. Three to the American League wins again. They go back for like decades at a time. It's the National League, then it's the American League. But next year, next year, Benny. Get your tickets early. Find your parking space because the All-Star Game is headed to Seattle next year. It's going to be an amazing time, especially how Seattle's doing right now. Well, let's continue that trend. Let's 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 hype it up for our city. We need this. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And we'll see what the parking is. Last time I was in <laughs> Seattle, parking was 50 bucks. Uh, I've crushed and beat that, actually. As of last weekend, I went Kenny, uh, to see Kenny Chesney and a uh, friend uh, in I saw 80. 80. Wow. And we're talking like just right in the stadium. So, I mean, if you got it, use it, flaunt it, go for it. But uh, we just decided to walk. Well, I, you know, I think it's only responsible for Manson Mitchell here in Sarasota, Florida, to just sort of shout out to everybody, all our friends in Seattle, and note that Seattle anymore, it seems like it's getting to be a rather expensive place to live. A little bit, just a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> Understatement of the week, everybody. All right. I will go ahead. To, I'm going to cut because this is long. This will take us down to the break because Hank Garrett has a curriculum vitae like nobody I've seen. But I can tell you that we're so happy to have him with us. Hank Garrett was brought up in a Harlem cold water walk-up tenement apartment with two half-brothers, dilapidated furniture, and irregular meals. His folks, we remember from previous visits they work seven days a week and they mean did they work hard yeah seven days a week what vacation life on the streets was tough Hank Garrett went on to have a wonderful career in fact he is and it's part of why we wanted to talk to Hank today he is uh, in some rarefied company and it's getting rarer I'm sad to say Hank Garrett is the last of his tribe the sole surviving cast member from the classic car 54 where are you And we're bringing Hank on today to discuss, among other things, the passing of two of his friends from the industry. Larry Storch, who was the last of his tribe from F Troop, has recently passed at the age of 99. And at age, I believe, 82, the great James Kahn. And everybody remembers him and his stellar roles. And uh, he has passed on, too. Now, there are connections from show business that Hank has, as you'll see. We'll get into this in a second. But also, even outside show business per se, when you talk about the martial arts, for example, James Kahn, he, he taught L.A. police 
some maneuvers. He really did. And Hank Garrett had a friendship and a great admiration, a mutual admiration with these two esteemed gentlemen whom we will reference today. First things first, let's say hello once again, six times, Suzanne, as you noted. Yep. Hank Garrett is with us. Hank, sir, we're delighted anytime you join us on the air. Well, thank you so much for having me back. We are very and, uh, happy to have you back. And we thought of you immediately when we heard about the passing of Larry Stort, because I was, I uh, believe it was the last interview that we had with you when you told us he was 99 years old and that you were still in contact with him. Yes, he was a very, very dear friend. Uh, we were in touch. We're in touch daily. Uh, I, I would call Larry from wherever I was in the, in the world or anywhere uh, just to see how he was doing. What was uh, anyway. the what was the time frame between your being in Car Fifty Four, where are you, and his being in F Troop? I'm sorry, I don't have that right in front of me. But did they run at the same time, or was uh, F Troop after? Car 54. Uh, well, I, I was not a big fan of uh, the show, uh, but of course a big fan of Larry. Uh, he did several guest appearances on Car 54, and he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Larry at one time, uh, boy, that's uh, why I don't start tearing up. Uh, he owned a club called the Crystal Room. Now, I was just a kid, but I was a big fan of Larry Storch, having seen him on F Troop. Well, I wanted to get into this, that club, and I was in martial arts. I started when I was 11 years old, uh, only because... When I was nine, I had my nose broken by a gang member. And so I started training martial arts when I was 11. And there was a gentleman who was part of the, the class I was in. And he was a bouncer at Larry Storch's club. He got me in to see Larry Storch. I had to stand in the shadows in the back of the room. Never laughed so hard watching a master perform. And then when I was doing Car 54, Larry did several guest appearances. And I, everyone would stop and watch a master. And we would laugh out loud because it would be picked up on, on tape. So we just, you know, bit our lips and <laughs> bit our hands and to keep from laughing out loud. And Larry and I became very close friends. I spoke to Larry every day of the week uh, and also met his daughter, June, who took care of him. She was with him up until the last moment of his life. So, when you your friendship goes back, how far with Larry Storch? How about how old were the two of you? You were both actors when you met, right? Yo, yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, Car Fifty Four is nineteen sixty one, sixty two. Uh, 
so we were friends from earlier than that. Because I did Car 54, I was 19. Uh, and in fact, I was wrestling professionally uh, at 17. They had to lie about my age in order for me to get my my license. You had to be 21 years old to get a wrestling license. So I was wrestling pro when I was 17. So <laughs> interesting. It, it's one of the reasons nobody can figure out your age, Hank, because there it's listed <laughs> as so many different years in so many different places. You've got everybody fooled. Oh, I know. Oh, God, yes. Uh, We've got you right now. We have you pegged to just signing up for Social Security. (laughs) (laughs) I may be old enough to work, yes. Uh, (laughs) I lived on the streets. Uh, I I actually slept in cardboard boxes. My my mother and father were immigrants from Ukraine. Uh, and I, I was born very late in life to them. My mom was in her forties. My dad was in his fifties. Uh, and my mom was embarrassed that she had a child at that age. In fact, I was standing next to their, well, they sold fruits and vegetables off a push cart. So they were gone 14, 15 hours a day. And I actually slept in cardboard boxes on the street. I lived on the street. I became a street hoodlum. I had a gun. I was carrying a gun when I was 12 years old. And I was always in trouble. Always in trouble. In fact, my mom uh, had, there was a a gentleman who was her uh, customer. He was the mayor of Harlem. And she cried to him that I was always in trouble and she didn't know what was going to happen to me. He came over to me uh, and here I am. I'm 12. I'm smoking with a bunch of fellow hoodlums. And he walked up to me and said, uh, do you know who I am? I said, no, 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 do I care? He said, you're <laughs> very mom, good. Oh Yeah. <laughs> He said, uh, your mom wants me to take you out. And I said, my mom's going to put a hit on me? <laughs> when you say take you out, that's that's what immediately comes to mind. And he said, no, stupid, I'm going to take you out tonight. I want you to meet somebody. The first thing he did, he slapped the cigarette out of my mouth. And I, you know, who are you? And I was going to throw a punch at him. And two mountains came toward me. They were his bodyguards. And he said, no. Do you have a suit? I said, yeah, I got a suit. He said, wear your suit tonight. But before you do, take a bath. Oh, yeah. I was really good. I said, you're you're it, man. I'm going to get you. Well, he took me to meet Sammy Davis Jr. at the Apollo Theater. And we went to Sammy's dressing room. And Sam looked at me and said, uh, I'll sit down. I did. He said, so you're a tough guy, right? I said, yeah, I'm tough. 12 years old. He said, tough guys wind up with broken bones and, and scars. 
But you, my man, you're you're well past that. Yeah, you you're gonna go to prison or you're gonna die. The gun in my pocket started getting heavier and heavier as Sam kept telling me what life what what life had in store for me. Well, he got me a job. I was a band boy for an all-black orchestra. Uh, and I said, I, I don't play an instrument. He said, no, 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 no. You put the music out for each one of the musicians. And at the end of the gig, you put everything away. And the band was Lucky Millinder. And at the end of the evening, Lucky came over me and he gave me $50. And he said, you, you did a great job, man. And I look at this money. And he said, get yourself some new kicks, shoes. My shoes were torn to shreds. In fact, the, the sole of the left shoe was held on by a big rubber band. Next day, I bought a pair of $15 shoes at Floorsheim Shoes and gave $35 to my mother, more money than she had seen ever. And uh, he started getting, Sammy had me going to the Catskills to learn to be a performer, a comedian. And 20 some odd years later, um, Tony Bennett's opening act at the Sands and ringside. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. And Frank Sinatra, when I got through performing, gave me a standing ovation. And Sammy stood there. Everybody ran to talk to Tony Bennett, and Sam stayed, looked at me and said, you're a very funny cat, but... Where do I know you from? Man, you look so familiar. And I said to Sam, Sam, I'm the kid that you said was going to go to prison or die. And he said, that's you? I said, yeah. We both stood there. We started to cry. We hugged each other. And wow. And things started opening more and more for me since then. Sammy Davis was my angel that God had sent me. At just the right time. You could even say just oh. the right times, Hank, because it's like you were fated to meet again and again. Yes, absolutely. And now I go to prisons and I talk to kids, children, 11 to 17. And I tell them, I was right there where you are. I sat where you are sitting right now. But God sent me an angel. And there's an angel waiting for each and every one of you. But you got to be ready to hear. Not just your ears, but with your heart. These kids sent me letters and they said, Mr. Garrett, Sammy Davis Jr. was your angel. You're our angel. Hmm. Oh, it just tore me apart. Yeah. And I never, never ever forgot that. Wow. 
anyway, here I am. <laughs> and here, here you are and here we are. I'm curious to know there, Hank, from the perspective of being a young performer, and I mean, you were still relatively new in the business when this happened in Las Vegas. I mean, you had experience under your belt, yes, in more than one way, as a matter of fact, because you're a certainly a versatile human being. But when you looked at the Rat Pack, there and who they were in the pop culture firmament there of America, certainly, and even internationally, when you looked at them, yes. what did you find yourself able to communicate with these very, very famous, successful people in a way that felt collegial? Did you ever get over being starstruck? That's what we want to know. Never. I still am <laughs> such a civilian uh, when it comes to the people in the business. I am a fan of just about everyone that I've seen in the business. I And I have come in contact with the biggest names in the business. And I, I just stand there in awe. I worked with Sophia Loren, and, and, you know, and, and James Cagney, and oh, wow. And all I keep saying was, it's a dream. It's a dream. You're, that, you're still that street hoodlum. You're that kid. And God gave you the opportunity to meet all these amazing people. Hank, was, I, um, I, I, was James Cagney nice to you? Was he a, a friendly person, or did he kind of stay to himself? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I was an extra on a, a film with James Cagney. And I didn't know that James Cagney was a star of the, of the film. And I'm standing there, and I said to a friend of mine, now, there was a, a pl high platform, and Cagney was going to make a speech. So all the guys, I was a longshoreman, and I didn't know who the star was. You know, the guy called me said, do you want to work uh, for the day as a longshoreman? Sure. And I said, uh, who, who's the star of this film? And they said, Cagney. And I was doing an impression of Cagney. All right, you dirty rats. I don't want you to stand over there. And Cagney was standing right above me. I didn't see him on the platform. And he looked down and said, that's got to be the fattest Cagney I've ever seen. And he <laughs> said, hey, you, get up here. <laughs> now he called me fat. I was a bodybuilder. I was competing as a bodybuilder and, and oh my god and he called me up so who did I the better Cagney him. you or him <laughs> oh, he was, you're much better at Cagney than Cagney <laughs> oh, yeah, and if you're exactly. a bodybuilder yeah, competing at that level what's this talk of being fat anyway your body fat would have been like what 1% yeah but I was so huge I would just I'd look well because I was wrestling pro uh, when I was wrestling, I, I bounced from between 220 and 240. So he called me fat, and I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with James Cagney. <laughs> and, 
and we had lunch together. And he was, oh my God, what a what an incredible experience. You wow. know what's interesting about James Cagney? Many things actually, but one of the things that's interesting is his self-image. He told an interviewer one time that he always really saw himself as a hoofer, as he said, as a dance guy more than as an actor, right. and yet. You look at him, just one of his pictures later in his career, of course, but you look at him and Mr. Roberts and you go, this guy's got the acting bug. He definitely has the chops. Oh, it's amazing. But yeah, you're right. He's a hoofer. I saw an early film recently on television. Oh, and he was tap dancing. He was really moving. Wow. What an incredible yeah, I'll, I'll always remember him in Yankee Doodle Dandy. That really stands out for me is his, oh, his yeah. uh, dancing in that movie. Oh, amazing. If I'd had the opportunity, Hank, I would have. There's one scene with him from Public Enemy where when he's delivered to his mother's door, there he's there at the doorway and he just falls forward. Oh. He's dead. And there, I how I, I I remember seeing that and going, how in the world did he do that? How are you going to act like a dead person standing up and then falling? I found that completely remarkable. He fell right on his face. Yeah, I was watching that. Yes, I remember that scene, and he did it. And I went, oh my god! There was no double. It was him. Wow. Well, I always oh, wondered, God. what do they have him falling on? A guy don't want to break his nose and his chin, you know? Yes. Uh, and who knows about what they what they thought of in those days? Right. Uh, oh, guys. Wow, wow, wow. Oh. We, when we were um, wanting to get you on the show today, specifically with a, a couple of recent passings, one of the things Gary said was, um, you know, comedy for, for him and somewhat for me too, you know, used to be so much funnier when, when you think about Car 54 and when you think about F Troop, that was laugh out loud comedy. And yes. do you can you appreciate some of the newer things, or do you find yourself more attracted to some of the older comedies? Oh, uh, there is nothing to compare. The older comedy was so right laid out; you didn't have to think about it. I think of Laurel and Hardy, and uh, and didn't have to think about what did he mean by that. It was laid out in front of you. You know, and all the, for example, uh, for me personally, I snuck in to see the Sid Caesar show. I was a kid. I wanted to see, I had seen him on television and, and someone said there, and still when I was still living in New York, I snuck into the theater. I had climbed the, the staircase of the, the fire escape up to the roof, over, down, into the theater. And I was sitting in the back row watching Sid Caesar. He was my, uh, my idol. And at one point, I laughed out loud. And he heard me. And he said, who's up there? 
And I stood up. And he said, come on down here. He came down. He said, what are you doing up there? I said, I, I'm a big fan of yours, Mrs. Caesar. And uh, I, I always wanted to see you in person. He said, sit here. Front row, sit here. You are only to laugh when I say something funny. <laughs> they know it. He said that pay no attention to the rest of the cast. I said, okay. And I saw him do something, and it was, he called it dialectic gibberish. Well, he said, can you do what I'm doing? I said, yeah, because I had copied him when, he, when I was watching him on television. And he and I would have gibberish conversations in different nationalities. Well, I got so good at that that I wound up doing a show in London. Um, that was the week that was. I had a featured spot on the show where I would be interviewed as a different character each week. Uh, for example, I was the Italian count. It's all gibberish. And David Frost would translate. <laughs> and one time he had me as a Chinese delivery man delivering food from the restaurant. He said, I want you to run out into the audience. And I said, what? He said, yes, with this big bag, this giant brown paper bag. And I ran through yelling, no MSG. And I became... So well versed and uh, in in demand for doing that, thanks to Sid Caesar. And were you in demand by the Asian Arts Council? <laughs> they were no, thrilled to, to hear it. <laughs> thrilled to hear it, Hank. <laughs> you got a you got a personal letter from Hop Singh. <laughs> You're stealing his uh, act. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are so happy to have you with us, Hank Garrett. We're going to take our one and only break, and when we come back, we want to throw some love—never some shade. We want to throw some love at James Kahn, who recently departed there, and like yourself, in front of the camera, and also they're doing. I wouldn't call it a side gig, but also another aspect of his life as well as yours, in the martial arts with the self-discipline and the ability to teach it to others. Yeah, we'd like to get into some of that and get your reminiscences and your appreciation of James Kahn when we come back. Hank Garrett is our guest. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Alternative Talk, the very epicenter in Seattle, AM 1150. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine, 
with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed comedian Hank Garrett, who will reminisce about his good friends Larry Storch and James Kahn, talking about when comedy was funny. On Saturday, Mary Beckman joins us for another hour of metaphysical Q&A about healing and the unseen dimensions of our universe. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Hank Garrett, as we said in the opening, he is the last surviving member of Car 54, Where Are You? A wonderful cast and a really funny show from the early 60s. And he was very good friends with both Larry Storch and James Kahn, who recently passed. But at this moment, I just want to mention a couple of things. Hank Garrett's career has spanned nearly six decades as a comedian, actor, voiceover artist, and as a Hall of Fame martial arts and wrestling legend. His book is From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight, and it is filled, filled with wonderful, memorable stories of many of the Hollywood greats. Hank, please let let us know what, if anything, is happening with your book these days. Uh, yes, it's being used. Well, it's being looked at uh, with the uh, thought of making turning it into a movie. Uh, but they said there would a movie would they would have to sacrifice a lot of the wonderful things to make a two hour film. So they're thinking it should be a series. And that's what we're looking at now. I think that would be a fabulous series. I know from Gary's and my reading of your book, every chapter is filled with unbelievable stories from so many of television and movie greats that you have interacted with. I can see where it would take a whole series 
to put that all together and how fun it would be to, you know, replicate those people that you knew way back in the day with some, you know, oh. younger, newer actors. That would be such a hoot. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, someone said, uh, have you seen the the movie El- Elvis or uh, Presley? I said, no, no. And they said, because the guy is, is you really think it's Elvis Presley. Mm. And I had a wonderful time with Elvis. Uh, we sparred together. And uh, oh, that that was a, a, a story that was, oh, God. Every time I think about it, I, I get chills. But you just kept uh, being these places, Hank, where you would you would have these brushes, but really more than that, interactions with some of the most famous people on earth. You're a kid that's that's supposed to be in the poor quarters, trying to stay alive and sleeping in a cardboard box. Didn't you have those moments when you're asking yourself, "Who am I to be hobnobbing with these people?" Oh, absolutely, I still do. I still get that that well. I got a call, uh, and and I was I had the good fortune I was uh, appearing at at the Sands in Las Vegas. I get a call, and the guy says, uh, uh, Mr. Garrett, would you do uh, Elvis Presley the honor of working out with him, starring? Now, I'm thinking it's, it's a put-on, a joke. And I said, you want me to give Elvis the honor of sparring? Uh, well, yeah, all right. I'll tell you what. I'll give the kid a break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, next thing, I set up a, a, a date at the Sands. They rented one of the, 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 the halls and I, where they have weddings. And, and it's Elvis shows up with his entourage. And I, I'm wearing my my karate outfit, which is cost me a dollar ninety five. You know, it's all in shreds from being used so many times. He shows up in, in a twenty five thousand dollar outfit, and I'm looking at him, and he's got twenty five or thirty people with him. I'm going, oh my god! And Elvis walks over. And he says to me, calls me sensei, which is teacher. Yes, that's remarkable. Yes. And I said, oh, oh, excuse me, Elvis, you don't call me sensei because you and I are equal rank, both black belts. He said, uh, I said, so, you know, you, you don't have to refer to me as sensei. And he says, oh, okay, sensei. I thought, oh, God. So he said, uh, Sensei, can I ask a favor? And I said, sure. We're just about to, to spar. And he said, would you please try not to hit me in my face because I have a show to do tonight. And I'd look at Elvis and i say, well, you know, don't hit me in the face because I, too, have a show to do tonight. And he said, Sensei, if I hit you in the face, 
it would be an improvement. <laughs> and I looked, I looked at Elvis and I said, you know I'm going to kill you. You know that I'm going to destroy you. And we, and we sparred and it was wonderful. He was very good. And uh, I, I fought all over the world and Boy, he was really super, super, yeah. And the sweetest human being you could ever, ever meet, Elvis Presley. Wow. You know, that was one of the and things, I, and Suzanne and I made the pilgrimage to Graceland uh, a number of years ago, and I, I got the impression that he was, for all of his international fame, for all the glory he had, he didn't lose the common touch because of the way he would talk to people. He seemed to take delight in improving people's life, even in a dramatic way. How many Cadillacs did he buy for strangers, for example? Oh, I know. He, I, when, oh, God. I just, being around him, and he said, uh, Sensei, would you like to, you know, should we break for lunch? And we, we, we worked very hard. And I said, yeah, you, whatever, whatever you think, I'm free. I don't have a show to do until tonight. And he said, okay. He said, uh, why don't we stay here and have it brought in? He said, instead of, you know, going to, going to a restaurant. And I knew what it was. You know, there isn't a restaurant he could walk into that yeah. people wouldn't you know, keep running over to him to talk to him. Right. And, and I said, yeah, whatever you think, that would be wonderful. Well, yeah. the food never stopped coming. And he was just, you know, oh, try this. And say, oh, wow, this is so good. you got to try this. And uh, that, 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 that's my meeting with Elvis Presley which I've oh. never, ever forgotten. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I don't want to finish this hour without uh, fulfilling the promise that we made to our listeners to talk about James Kahn. Did you ever spar with James Kahn? No, I never did. I knew he was into martial arts. Uh, Jimmy was a tough guy. Uh, we had similar backgrounds. And the funny thing is, when you get two guys who are kind of similar, you know, you're kind of like looking at each other thinking of, hmm, can I beat him? And that that's what happened. He was, he was always checking me out, casing me, and I was casing him. So we never did relax. Oh, we kidded around. Uh, but it was always, I wonder if I could take him. And it was a mutual admiration. Did you but stay no, in touch no, with I him did. over the years as well, Hank? No, no. I tried a couple of times, could not reach him. He was very busy. He worked a lot. Bless him. Yes, he wanted to get the most out of life, and it appears to have done so. He even taught members of the Los Angeles 
police department martial arts to the extent that they would be using it on the streets, of course. And that's something I never knew about James Conn until recently. I, I, I didn't know that either. I trained children. I trained little ones. Uh, especially children uh, that were being bullied. Uh, there were kids. Well, there was a... At one time, uh, I was working out at a gym, and there was a woman standing there, standing on the side, with a young man. And he he was standing there with his head bowed. And he must have been about maybe 13 or 14 years old, possibly older. And I just walked over, and I, I said, oh, good. You know, just she was there, standing there for the longest time, possibly waiting for someone to come over and talk to her, which I did. And he, she said, yeah, I would love my son to start doing some exercise, but he's very shy and uh, he's blind. So I, I said, sure, come, you know, uh, come with me, and I—I I had nothing to do with the gym. I was just working out there. This was in New York, so I took him over, uh, and she led him to the different machines that I pointed out and showed him how to use it, and we started working out together. And that he didn't feel very secure uh, being anywhere without his mom. But after a few couple of workouts, he felt safe with me. And so I led him to different machines and we worked out. Well, it, it was like, wow. I blinked my eye and suddenly he went from this kind of thin kid to somebody who was muscled and his head was erect it wasn't bent over as a, like when I first met him well we worked together for a couple of months and what a change uh, got his mother to get him protein shakes and uh, he was taking supplements and protein and what a change he went from like weighing maybe 115, 120. When he left, or when I left, he was about 140, 140 or 150. And he was muscular and his head was erect and his chest was out. Oh my God. And I saw this dramatic change. And I was so proud of him. So proud of him. And then they moved out of the country. But, wow. You know, uh, there was a big change in you, yourself, and so he kind of mirrored that. And it, it is that idea that you can do something, especially strenuously physical, and it changes everything. It changes your, your mental self. It changes your emotional self. 
I mean, the fact that you said his head was now erect, I mean, that, that means he had a, he was exuding much more of a confidence. And so I'm sure that you saw something of yourself in him, though you were not blind. You know, everybody comes from one place and ends up another. And it just reminds me that, you know, when you change one critical thing in your life, everything changes. And, and so, you know, as your life changed dramatically, so you watch this child's life change as well. And I'm sure it, it just reminded you of yourself, even though that wasn't your problem. Yeah. You know, something you just opened my eyes to something. The fact that that, how it related to me. Wow. Wow. In a way, you were paying it forward. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you were actually paying it forward. And you've talked before about going into the prisons, and you're not talking to the hardened criminals who have been there 20 or 30 years. You're talking to the young people. And, you know, that's where you can really make a difference. You know, you don't know if you're making a difference, but at least you're putting it out there and you're trying and you're saying, you know, this is what my life was like, you know, now you're in prison and, you know, you have a chance to have a different life too. look at the different life I got. And, and I think that makes a, a difference coming, not from somebody who's preaching and all holy, but from somebody who has been in the streets and had a tough life. And then they can relate to it much better. So, you know, I see the work that you have done in your later years as being really, really valuable. Well, thank you. Wow. What an eye opener that is. Thank you so much. Yeah, I never, ever looked at it that way. Wow. You know, Hank, there's something, uh, because of what you said earlier, I wanted to ask you, there, in terms of your young life, I mean, when uh, the uh, biggest shot in your neighborhood approached you and you were a tough guy, you know, you initially you weren't showing him the proper respect and the bodyguards were there and all of that. I can recall you telling uh, during an earlier visit to our show, Hank, there were people that would come up to you years later, and I'll bet there were more than a few who would see you in great condition. You're a performer, you're a wrestler, you're a martial artist, black belt, teacher, all of that. There must have been a lot of self-discipline in in the study and the practice of what you learned about those physical arts. Because when they would approach you, hey, you think you're a tough guy, don't you? And you told me that you would say, no, not really. You weren't jutting your chin out as you got more mature. You tried to avoid confrontation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would uh, uh, turn everything into just a, a casual conversation. Wow. Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, somebody uh, and my wife will, will attest to that. I, when somebody comes up and they're saying flattering things, I stop to blush, and I still <laughs> do. Some and someone said to me, uh, "You are a legend." 
and I immediately turned it into a joke. And I said, the man said, I'm a leg end. <laughs> and they said, no legend. I said, it's spelled the same way. So, yeah. Yeah, it's this I, deflection. Uh, I, right. I, right. I can't handle flattery. I truly can't. Well, you know, Hank, you just don't lead with your ego. And I, and I think because of that, because you're not going around saying, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips, I think that these uh, uh, people have been attracted to you, especially these movie stars, over the years because you're not putting it out there that you're better than anybody else. And For because sure. of your personality and the way that you approach people, people feel very safe to be with you and to be themselves. Yes, yes. I I hang out with a bunch of people, and uh, and I hear them saying to other people, "Do you know who he is?" And I'm looking to see who they're referring to. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about you. (laughs) Oh yes. In fact, uh, who someone said to me, "They're talking about you, dummy," and I went, "Oh." I swear it was, oh my God. And what kind of, now, what kind of uh, entertainment do you enjoy now? Now that you're in your later years, I mean, it can't all be, you know, reruns from the sixties. What kinds of things interest you? What, what do you find fascinating? Uh, I'm still in awe of the wonderful performance that I see. Uh, watching television, and uh, you know, and I, if I can see the people who are truly outstanding, and I, 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 as I say, I am in awe of the people. In fact, I'm still astonished the people I've worked with. I, I say to my wife. I said, oh, my God, I had the opportunity of working with so-and-so. And, And oh, my God, and there's, oh, my God, I would, I am still such a civilian when it comes to the people. And they said, but they're in awe of you. I said, for what? You know, it's, it's a job. I do my job, but um, and my wife just still shakes her head. Said, "Oh my God, you really are in awe of these people." I said, "Yes, yes, I'm in awe of talent." Ah, that's it. Can you spot a phony? No, in Hollywood. No, not at all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, I've, Hank, I think uh, of all the, the, and I haven't met uh, either of these gentlemen, unfortunately, you worked with Robert Redford and how, but when I think of people oh. like Robert Redford and Paul Newman, with all the success that they attained, with all of the glory they received, all of the adulation, it got to the point, even I could see rank civilian that I am, 
I could see that in the case of uh, a Paul Newman and a Robert Redford, these gentlemen would have been some of the easiest people to get to know if you had access to them as you did with uh, Robert Redford. Three Days of the Condor, the fight scene, all of that. Yes. These gentlemen seem to conduct themselves like a couple of easygoing guys who had nothing to prove. They're the people you want to talk to. They're not out to impress you. They're just being themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, James Earl Jones. Uh, I had the good fortune. I was co-starring with him. We had a series together. Uh, didn't last too long um, because they kept moving us. Uh, we we had a series called Paris. He was a, a detective. I would. Uh, he was a captain, and I was a deputy chief inspector. But he and I were good friends, and we did the show, and we were on a Thursday night. And we won the night, and people were saying, oh, my God, James Earl Jones in a series. Well, the powers that control our show uh, asked us or told us they were going to move us to a Saturday night because there was another show called Trapper John that wasn't doing too well, so they were going to approve give our time slot to uh, Trapper John. Well, they moved us. It was Saturday night, and there was a show coming on called Heart to Heart. Uh, And they destroyed us. They tore us to shreds. It was (laughs) mighty. But the funny thing is, when we, we had the show, I had a party at my house for the the cast and crew of our new show called Paris. Well, James Earl comes in and he looks at my son, who was uh, uh, six, I guess about six. And he walks in and and he sees the Darth Vader helmet lying on the floor. James put the helmet on and did the voice. Oh my I God. look at my son. <sighs> All I see is, is my son sitting on the floor with his mouth wide open. <laughs> and now he goes to school the next day. I get a call from the teacher. Mr. Garrett, I'd like to talk to you about your son, Brandon. I said, yes. Uh, he's got a rather vivid imagination. I said, oh, yes. He's telling kids that Darth Vader was in his his bedroom last night. And I said, well, he was. (laughs) And I heard, click. (laughs) (laughs) Hank, we have to go. We're wrapping up the show. So let's just do another one. Hank Garrett, come and join us. There, your book, hopefully to be a series. From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight, Hank Garrett, always a pleasure, and we will talk to you again soon. Have a great weekend, Hank.